thank you for the privilege of being sons and daughters of the living God. We thank you that because of your shed blood, we are free from the power and the penalty of sin. We are now sons and daughters with the full privileges and rights to walk in the victory, to overcome the adversary, to be who and what you called us to be. And we thank you for that. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. Good morning. Amen. God is so good. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 13. John 13. And we want to spend a few minutes preaching about a towel in his hand. A towel in his hand. John 13. And let's begin with verse number 1. We're going to read a few verses. We want to get the whole story here. The Bible says it was just before the Passover feast. And Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full measure or the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to portray Jesus. And verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, all things in his hand. He, Jesus knew that he had come from God and he was returning to God. It's good to know where you come from and where you're going. Amen. Verse 4 says, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. He came to Peter and said to him, and Peter says, Lord, <laughs> you think you're going, to wa- you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, Peter, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later on you'll understand it. And Peter said, no, no way, no, Lord. You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part or no participation with me. You've got to be washed. You've got to be washed. Verse 9, then Lord Simon Peter replied, just like Peter, not just my feet, Lord, then my hands and my head and everything. And Jesus answered, a person who has a bath, they don't need to wash his feet, his whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. Verse 12, when they finished washing the feet, he put on his clothes. He returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You'll be blessed or you'll be happy if you do them. And the real emphasis on the last part, it's humbly serving, giving, ministering to God and to others. Following the example that Jesus gave us, that's where the true fulfillment in the blessedness of heaven comes to us. And We're going to talk this morning about a towel in his hand. Jesus picked up a towel and washed the disciples' feet. This is a message that instructs us while it searches us. It probes us as it teaches us. And that's by design of the Lord Jesus himself. He purposely 
says these things and does these things to get our attention so the message will not be forgotten. It's the message in humility and true Christian ministry, which is servant leadership. Servant leadership. As opposed to so much that you see in the world where it's dog-eat-dog and people are driven with um, ego-driven and agenda-driven, selfish ambition, uh, but not, not in the kingdom of God. And that's not the example that Jesus set, and that's not the desire that He has for His people. Now, in the past, we've studied Peter, and we've looked at Peter, and we've seen how Peter was headstrong and self-confident. At times, he was boastful. And, you know, that's a real problem if God's going to use him or if God's going to use any of us because the Bible is so clear that God resists the proud. But he gives his grace and he draws near the humble. And it's, again, humility that the Lord is is modeling and humility in our serving one another. It's not only how I respond to God, but it's how I respond to my brother. It's how I respond to them that are created in the image of God that matters to heaven. So again, humility, it's a tough subject to really fully grasp and understand. It's not easy to speak about, certainly not easy to live. And none of us have arrived like we um, like to say we're all under construction. But let's have an ear to hear what the Lord says. And pray, Lord, help us to follow your example. Because we know as believers, He's given us more than just a pattern to look at by His Spirit, those that have been born again. He's given us a power in which we can live this life. So we're going to see the pattern in His example and in His words, but we're going to see that pattern, but we also have to recognize I can, by God's Spirit, live out the life God's called me to live. So today, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive so we can understand this this, um, object lesson that the Lord Jesus has given us. Now, the background is simply this. Um, He's ready to go to the cross. Jesus is on His way to Calvary. And his men are still arguing about who's first in the kingdom. They're arguing about position and authority and who's going to have the prettiest throne and all those other things. And there's so little time left for Jesus to get through to them what real ministry is and what his kingdom is all about. So Jesus left them and us an example. And because, you know, some things are not easy just to teach in words and concepts. Some things are difficult to teach just in words. He gives them an illustrated sermon. He'll do something that really gets their attention so that they'll really remember the things, the important thing he's about to teach them. Now we break up this message into three parts. We maybe can hit the first two, but each one emphasizes a different spiritual truth that Jesus wants us to understand and walk in. Number one, there'll be humility. Number two, there's holiness. And number three, there's happiness. Now, happiness we won't get to, but that was at the end where Jesus said, blessed are you if you do this. Where he says, really, if you really want to know heaven's blessedness, it's not by having bigger titles and bigger toys and bigger prestige. It's by humbling, serving each other like Jesus served us. It's following his example. He says, now that I've done this, follow my example. He was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But he didn't think himself too good to wash feet. And we should never think ourselves too good to serve others with love and humility, just like Jesus did. But let's start out with Roman number one, humility. This is what Jesus models here. and This is what he called you and I to imitate. This would be verses one through five. And I want us to see in the first three verses, the emphasis is on what our Lord knew. Verses four and five, the emphasis is on what our Lord did. What we know should affect what we do. 
What we know should affect what we do. People say knowledge is power. Knowledge is also accountability. Because the more I know, the more I'll be accountable for on that day. So, again, what Jesus knew and what Jesus did. Number one, notice Jesus knew, verse one, that his time or his hour had come. It says very clear, he knew that his time had come to go back to the Father. Jesus lived according to a divine timetable. It was time to go to the cross. It was time for Jesus to pay the price for our sins. And from the human viewpoint, that meant suffering. And that looked like tragedy and and defeat. But from heaven's viewpoint, it was glory. And it was eternal victory and salvation for you and for me. His time was short. Calvary was drawing near. And whatever He wished to teach His disciples, He had to do it now. He had to do it quickly. Jesus knew, number one, His time had come. Number two, Jesus knew the enemy was at work. We see that in verse two. He knew that the devil had prompted Judas. He knew what was plotting and what was scheming behind the scenes. He was aware of what was happening at the time. But even that, would not divert our Savior from doing the will of the Father and loving His men to the very end of it all. Friend, listen. Don't ever let anything keep you from doing the will of God. Don't ever let anything distract you or divert you from doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Make the will of God the priority of your life. Let nothing derail you from it. Let nothing distract you from it. Jesus knew, number one, that His hour had come. Verse one. Number two, He knew that the enemy was at work, but that didn't hinder Him from washing their feet and going forward with the plan of God for our salvation. Number three, Jesus knew, verse three, that the Father had given him all things. The King James, the New King James, put all things in his hands. Put all things under his power. And this is beautiful when you think about it, that the Lord Jesus, even in his humiliation, where he's ready to give his life and be battered and bruised for you and I, even in his humiliation, he was always secure. He was always content. And he was always confident in the Father. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew where He came from. He knew what He had. And He knew where He was going. Now again, remember, what we know should affect what we do and how we live. Even in such an hour, Jesus was still content and confident and secure in the Father. When you know God and you know you're walking with God and you know you're a child of God, you can have that same contentment and confidence regardless of where life takes you. Regardless if the path is uphill, downhill, mountaintop or in the valley. When you know in whom you have believed in, you can have the comfort and confidence to know He's with you, He's for you, and He will will not fail you. Rest in that. Be confident in that. I don't understand this. I can't see that. You don't have to. you just got to know He's with you and He's in control of you and He's good to you. Can you say amen? Jesus knew His time had come. He knew that the enemy was at work. But He knew the Father had given Him all things. And you and I as believers, we need to know that we have been born of God. We need to know that we belong to God. We need to know that one glad morning we shall see this God face to face. We need to know that in Jesus Christ we've been given all things. You know, Second Peter says in chapter 1, verse 3, that God has given us all things 
pertaining to life and godliness. Everything we need to live this walk victoriously and successfully, we already possess in this glorious new birth. In the power of God's Spirit that dwells with us, we have been given all. We've been given the security, the significance, the strength, the satisfaction, the true riches of His grace, the eternal privileges of His glorious salvation. In Christ, you and I have all that we need to meet it, greet it, and defeat it. To face life and walk in the victory, trusting our God and seeing Him work all things together for our good. And when we know that, we can pick up a towel and we can wash the feet. And when we know that, we don't need to be like the world and be caught up in promoting ourselves and criticizing others and giving in to worldly pettiness, competition, rivalry. Like those that don't have a heavenly Father. Like those that don't know our promotion comes from the Lord. That don't understand our position is in our salvation. And our provision comes from the One who said, My eye is on the sparrow. You know I'm watching over you. Oh my goodness, my goodness. We who are secure in Him can follow His example. If I'm really secure in Christ, I can do what Jesus did. I don't have to be proving myself. I don't have to be, oh, what are they going to think? Don't matter. I know who I am, know where I come from, know where I'm going. Amen. I know in whom I have believed in. I know in whom I belong to. And as long as I got his okay, then nothing else really matters. Can you say amen? There's a security in this. That's why that world's always freaking out. Well, well, did you hear the news? Ah, yeah, I got the news. I got some good news right here. He holds me in the palm of His hand, safe and secure. I got some good news. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I got some good news. He that began a good work in me, He's going to finish. I got some good news. The Lord Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not. I got some good news. God, my heavenly Father, loves me with an everlasting love. And He'll never leave me and never forsake me. And His will for me is good and not evil. He's given me a hope and a future. And in Him I can do all things. Can somebody say amen? Oh, I'm talking about a God. I'm talking about a salvation that when you're truly saved and you know the Lord, there should be a peace that passes understanding. There should be a contentment that comes from knowing your God is watching over you. Jesus is shepherding you. The same Spirit that raised Him from the dead is living within you. Therefore, fear not. Be bold. Be strong. For the Lord thy God is with thee. Hallelujah. What Jesus knew helped determine what He did. And we must know who we are in Christ and what we possess as sons of God. We must know what is expected of those that represent the Master and are called by His name. For it is a high and holy privilege to be one of His. And as His followers, our confidence is in God. And our value system is from heaven, not of this world and of this culture. And our example and our pattern 
is the Savior Himself as we follow Him. And we live this life yearning for the applause that come from above, not come from men. And it's the applause of heaven that drive us and that direct us. And in reality, friends, that distinguishes our lives. It's our desire to please Him and model and follow after Christ. That's what distinguishes us from the world because we're moved and motivated. We're directed. The dynamic that energizes our lives is in our attempt to please Him and obey Him and live for the Lord Jesus. And that's what separates us from the rest. That's what makes us different from those that don't know God. Young believer, knowing who you are in Jesus, And understanding what privilege you possess as a child of God will transform your life and your Christian experience. Many get saved, but they never get educated. Many give their hearts to Jesus, but never grow to understand what it all entails to be a son or daughter of the living God. They don't fully grasp the privileges and the promises and and the glorious truth of divine presence that walks with us and dwells within us. But again, young believer, if you want to live a victorious Christian life, as not every Christian does, many are going to heaven, but they're not living victorious on their journey. But if you want to live victoriously, then you've got to know Him. You've got to understand His words. Know who you are in Jesus. Understand the privileges you possess as a child of God. Dig in and learn and lay hold. Lay claim and enjoy the glorious benefits you have as a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, back to the story. The disciples, they were shocked. They had to be shocked when they saw the Master rise from a supper table. He'd healed the sick. He'd spoken. Storm ceased. He even raised the dead. But this was something only a Gentile slave would do. It was profound, it was moving, it was awakening, it was jarring. You see, Jesus had discerned a competitive spirit in his disciples. The fleshly flighting, it broke his heart. So he got up, verse 4. He laid aside the outer garment and he wrapped a towel around him. Took a basin of water and began to wash their feet. Again, the Father had put all things into his hands. Everything was at his disposal. Everything was under his power, yet he picked up a towel and a basin. This is a picture of humility, born not of poverty nor of weakness, but of true riches and eternal strength. Jesus was the sovereign, yet he took the place of a servant. He had all things in his hand, yet he picks up a towel. He was the Lord and Master, yet He served and He sacrificed and He surrendered His life for you and for me. I like how verse 4 says He got up. He got up that He might come down. Just like He got up from that glorious throne in heaven that He might come down to relate to you and I, to go to a cross to redeem you and I. And praise God, now He lives for you and I. But He got up that he might bow down. What an example. What a Savior. You see, the real, test of, the real test of our character, the real test of the Christ-likeness is when someone has power, has freedom, has authority, has the right, how do you use it? Again, his, his um, humility was not born of poverty. 
what you saw here was not born of weakness. As I said a couple of weeks ago, they go to arrest him and he just answers the question, I am he, and everyone falls out. So, so I mean, Jesus was never, he wasn't in anyone's danger. I mean, he was in total control. He had power to do whatever he willed, but this is what he willed. The question is, when you have the right to do something, how do you use that right? When you have the power, how do you use that power? That's what separates. This lesson speaks to us. For this is true ministry. This is true Christian ministry that he's trying to get across to the men and try to get across to us. This is what the Father accepts and approves of. Because you know, in this present age, when believers sometimes get out of touch, and maybe they begin to move into a a worldly type spirit, people will often ask for a scepter to rule, but not a towel to serve. They'll want a position, but not a basin. They'll say, give me a title. I don't want a towel. But the Son of God came not to be served, but to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. And He says, now that you know these things, blessed are if you do these things. Now that I, your Lord and your Savior, would do such things, go ahead and imitate me and do it to one another. Jesus served His disciples and He showed us the desired pattern. Because of His humility and because of His love, He bowed down and washed their feet and then went to Calvary. Because of His humility and of His love, verse 1 says He loved them to the full extent. Oh, what great love God has for you and I. Oh, what marvelous love God has for His people. Yea, beyond that, the Bible says, For God so loved the world, the world, I mean the lost world, the rebellious world, the ungodly. God so loved, oh, the great, marvelous, magnificent love of God. It moved Him to bow low. It moves Him to minister. You know, men like to choose the places they serve. Men like to choose to whom they serve. But the Bible says in Romans 5 and 8, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God demonstrates or proves or shows His love in this that while we were still sinners and rebellious and doing our own thing, He loved us and He bowed low for us. Just note in our text, just note in our text, He loved the one who betrayed Him, Judas. He loved the one who denied Him, Peter. He loved the one who first, the ones who forsook Him, the disciples. Aren't you glad that when He found you, He loved you? Aren't you glad that whatever condition you and I were in when He found us, He loved us and He called us His very own and He welcomed us and He forgave us and He accepted us. I love it. In His hands, He didn't have stones to throw, but He had mercy to impart. My friend, isn't Jesus worthy of our best? When you sit and fathom the great love of God, the compassion of our Savior, Isn't He worthy of our best? In fact, the Apostle Paul, he answered one time a question about his sanity. He says, oh yeah, I'm sane, but what you see is a man that is being driven and moved and motivated by the love of God. He says, the love of God compels me. When I think about how great His love is, how matchless and marvelous and glorious is the love of God for me, 
It moves me to love Him back. It moves me to serve Him with all that is within me. My friend, God loves you. He wants you to respond to that love. My friend, God loves you. And He died for your sins and did what you could never do for yourself. He paid the price for your sins. But you've got to respond to that love. You've got to cry out to that love. You've got to draw near to God and ask Him to really touch you with that love. The love of God. The love of God. The Bible says that he was aware and conscious of his deity, of his duty, of his destiny. He was aware of men's betrayal and men's denial. Yet he got up from the table. The time had come. Supper was over. It was time for a new day. A new chapter. It was time to turn the page. It was time for history was about to change. It was time to say it is finished. It was time to announce the benediction and go on into a new day and a new destiny. He got up from the table and took off. Friends, some things got to be taken off and laid aside if you want to go on with God. He, he, He took it off and laid it aside. He who was the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Creator of the heavens and the earth, who was God of very God, took off His outer clothing and began to wash dirty, dusty disciples' feet. The Master had become the servant. The Most High was now taking the lowest place. The sovereign became the subject. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. In just a few short hours, he would pour out his blood for the sins of the world. The water from that basin would remove dust and grime from men's feet, but the blood of Jesus would remove the vilest sins known to humanity. What Jesus Christ did on that cross, friend, has the power and the potential to forgive any sin and to change any life. What Jesus Christ did on the cross, that shed blood of the Lamb of God, within that there is the power and the potential to forgive any sin and transform any life. It will transform your life if you receive it. It will change your life completely if you'll come to Him and receive that great love of God that He expressed on Calvary. For that water that washed their feet would last just a little while. But all the blood's cleansing power will last for all eternity. And praise God, it's flowing today. It's flowing right now. So you can be clean and you can be free and you can be washed by the blood of Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1, it speaks of Jesus and it says, To Him who loved us and washed us from our sins by His blood. Oh, thank God for the blood of Jesus. We thank the Lord for the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes us white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, give God a praise. Hallelujah. Oh, the blood, the blood, the blood. 
It avails for you. It avails for you. Good works won't get you to heaven. They're not good enough. Righteous deeds will not get you to heaven. They're not right. Only the blood. Only the blood. Only the blood. And you can come and you can come and you can come if you can admit you're a sinner and admit that Jesus is the only Savior. If you'll come to Him, He'll receive you. He'll wash you. He'll make you brand new. Somebody say Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless His name forevermore. A lesson in humility and security and service. A lesson that gets our attention so we'll really hear what He's saying. If this great God could do that, can't we love one another? Can't we do the little things, the behind-the-scenes things? The things maybe no one will see or that might never get paid back? Oh, yeah. They had to get our attention. They, they had to be embarrassed when that was happening. Peter, Peter was. Have you ever been around anyone of consequence? You feel funny if they serve you. You get up and open the door for them. Oh, let me get that for you. Can you imagine Jesus doing this? Something that even a Jewish servant wouldn't do. A Gentile slave. But yet he does it to get their attention. To really probe their heart. To challenge the sincerity of their hearts and their loves toward one another. You've got to get their attention. It's important if you're going to teach a lesson, get their attention. Jesus knew how to get their attention. I remember that story of the old farmer had a stubborn donkey stuck in the middle of the road. He yelled at that thing. He, you know, he yelled at it, jumped up and down, threatened it for about a half an hour. It wouldn't budge. Next door neighbor, the next door farmer that shared the next property saw what was going on and came over and said, can I help you? He says, do what you want to do. This stubborn thing won't move. I've been yelling at it, kicking dust on it for a half an hour. He said, well, I'll see what I can do. Well, the second farmer reached over, saw a branch had fallen off a tree, took it, went up to that donkey, bam, right between the ears. Stood back in a very convoy. Now, listen, no donkey was hurt in the telling of this story, so relax. Animal lovers out there, relax. Step back with very calm voice. Donkey, get going. Eeyaw! And off it goes. He says, see, them donkeys are listening. You just got to know how to get their attention. Amen. Sometimes God could get our attention. God ever got your attention? God ever got your attention? Yeah, He knows how to get our attention, don't He? It behooves us. Get our attention when He's talking, but you don't want to get that between the ears because He loves us too much. He'll do that if He has to. He'd rather not do that, but He'll do that if He has to. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. A lesson in humility. Let's follow the example of our Lord. This is the attitude that pleases His heart. Don't ever think you're better than someone else. We're not. Don't ever think you're too good to do something. You're not. If Jesus could do that, who are we? Right? You see? And when the gospel comes in that puffs up man's pride, that's a false gospel. The gospel lifts men up, but lifts them up like Jesus. He had all things, but yet he could wash feet. He ruled and reigned, but he could still submit to the Father's plan, even when it meant going through a cross and enduring things. 
that weren't always comfortable or easy. Oh, God, make us like your son. Make us like your son. Now, number two, there's a lesson in holiness. And this is verses 6 through 11, the last one we can touch on. Now, again, as Peter's watching all this, he, he, he watched the Lord wash the other feet. And then Peter's getting more and more disturbed. You can just imagine this if you know Peter, right? He's getting a little, feeling awkward. He's uncomfortable. And now he's getting a little bit frustrated. He couldn't understand what Jesus was doing. And here Peter gets ready to speak when he shouldn't speak. But hey, thank God for Peter. You and I get a lesson. Amen. We get a lot of lessons because Peter spoke when he shouldn't spoke, cut off ears when he shouldn't cut off ears. So we thank God for Peter because it saves us a lot of harm. We can learn from his mistakes. All right? Now look at this. Let's look at this together. Verse, verse 6. He came to Peter. And Peter says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you don't get it now, but you'll get it later. And verse 8, Peter says, you'll never, never, he said, he never wash my feet. Now, Jesus is going to slip over. He's, he's, got, he's got an illustration. He's getting a point across here. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part or participation with me. Unless you've been washed by Jesus, you can have no part in Jesus. It's not an intellectual Jesus. It's not a philosophical Jesus. He's a Savior, Jesus. And you've got to receive His salvation and receive His washing. Oh, yeah. And, and, and then verse 9, Then Lord Simon says, Well, just wash everything. All right, let's stop there. Let's explain this. Verse 10, When a sinner trusts the Savior, he's bathed all over. His sins are washed and forgiven. Hebrews tells us, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. Isn't that good news? No more. God doesn't remember what I used to be, what you used to do. It's forgotten in the sea of God's forgetfulness. It's washed. It's cleansed. Beautiful, beautiful. But as we now walk on with the Lord, it's easy to pick up some of the dirt and the dust and the grime from this fallen place we live in. Don't need to get saved again. Don't need to get bathed again. But we do need to wash our feet. We do need to get some fresh fillings. We do need to confess things when we, you know, miss the mark. We do need to respond if the Spirit tends to convict us or grieve us. We do need to get, get in that place of prayer and communion stay fresh and refreshed by God. Why is it important to keep our feet clean? Okay, salvation brings about our union with Christ. We become a child of God. Isn't that wonderful? We get saved and we're a child of God. But our sanctification... Or the growing and the staying clean. That's what gives us our communion with God. Or enjoying our fellowship with God. You see, my union, when I get saved, that's what we call positional forgiveness. And I'm secure in that. That makes you a son or a daughter. And you are you truly saved, you're saved. You're secure in God. All right? He's, but your communion is a different story. That speaks about relational forgiveness. This comes from walking with God and obeying God and staying close to God. Let me give you an example. Um, I, I like this example. In the natural, just pick a relationship. Pick any relationship. For example, growing up, did you ever come to a place with your parents where your union was unchanging? You're still a son. You're still a daughter, right? Your union unchanging. You're still a son. But you did something or something happened that caused your communion. To be strained. The union was the same. The communion or the relationship was strained. You see, when someone truly gets saved, that in Christ, 
they're secure. But we can live in a way where we neglect devotions, where we allow known sin to have its way, where we do things that grieve the Spirit. And you know what happens? I might still be a son, but that relationship is strained. I might still be a son, but there's a frustration. And we're kind of... You see, your position remains the same, but your relationship can become frustrated. You've got to wash your feet. You've got to confess that thing. You've got to start doing what you need to do. And this is what Jesus is teaching us. If we're going to keep our intimacy with God, then we have to learn how to wash ourselves from the daily grind of this world and this whole nature that we have to keep on board until we see Him face to face. We've got to learn to stay clean and stay faithful to the Word of God. Faithful in confessing sin quickly when we've missed the mark. Obey the voice of the Spirit. Draw near in prayer. Let the presence and praises just wash you and refresh you. And in whatever you sense that you've grieved or quenched the Spirit, don't ignore that. Respond to that and get back on track. Keep your communion with God fresh by washing daily. You see, you don't got to get saved a hundred times. Get saved once. But then after you're saved, practice the washing so that your relationship stays fervent, not frustrated. That you're close and you're not strained from God. There's many people, I believe they are saved, but man, they've let that thing get so contaminated by the world. They've allowed things to come in that have so frustrated that relationship that they're really not on good terms with their Heavenly Father, though they're still a son. I don't know if many of them haven't gone over that edge. Now, some never did get saved. That's a different sermon for a different day. But I believe there's many that have. But the relationship is frustrated because they don't practice washing. When they sense the conviction of the Spirit, instead of saying, yes, Holy Spirit, forgive me for that. Yes, Lord, let me change that, make things right. They ignore it or try to justify it. And so they live in this perpetual thing that they're a son, yet their communion with their father is not where it needs to be. Peter didn't understand this. And again, he says, not me, Lord, not me. And you know, a lot of people in the world are kind of like that. Miss the point of washing and the cleansing that Jesus gives. When it comes to that initial washing, friend, if you're not saved, you need to be washed. Jesus came to wash and cleanse men from their sins. And every person needs to be washed from their sins because we've all sinned. And there's no other way but through Jesus Christ and His precious blood. There's no other answer. There's no other cure for man's condition in our fallen state. But then once we get saved and we want to walk with God, we've got to practice staying clean. We've got to be quick to know that when I've missed the mark, forgive me, Lord, let me get back on track. We've got to practice getting in there and getting saturated. I mean, there's a lot of saints out there that seem like they've been, um, what, what's that word? Dehydrated. Amen? Where, where, where they're just, it's just lacking. They got the outer shell, but you can tell something's not quite right within. They haven't been taking in the Word. They haven't been taking in prayer. And you can just see it. They go through the motions, but the strength isn't there. That glow isn't there. When someone's dehydrated, the skin just isn't right. The glow just isn't right. And you can tell a lot of, and Jesus is teaching this. We get saved once. I remember when God dealt with me. I grew up in the church, but when I really remember receiving Christ about seven or eight years old, 
But when that thing became alive, I was getting saved every other minute. I got saved Sunday morning. I can remember looking at my shoes. Shag carpet. Had to be the 70s. Amen. Shag carpet. Walking down that aisle, that shag carpet. Then I got saved again about the same week in Boys Brigade like Royal Rangers. Then I got, and finally mom had to grab me. Joe, you only, only, you only get saved once. And I only got, you don't have to, you know. But I knew God was, my heart was tender and God was speaking to me. You see what I mean? So I was like, man, I want this. I want, it was, just, it was at that point. But she didn't know, only saved once. But after that, you see. Sometimes rededications and when you do your devotions and the Holy Spirit shows you something that needs to be adjusted. Amen. Or when you know you just flat out, I said what I shouldn't have said, Lord, forgive me. I don't want anything straining, grieving the Holy Spirit in me. I mean, I'm still a son. I'm not getting saved again. I'm just washing my feet. I'm just staying clean. because I, I, I want the communion to stay healthy and strong. Amen. I don't want anything to frustrate my relationship. You know, I'll bring it down. I'll bring it down to this. I know many here. I'm looking at you. I know many here got wonderful marriages. I know you do. I talk to you. I watch you. Wonderful marriages. And one of the worst things, good marriages. I mean, we look at this world and we just shake our heads and say, man, that poor world. You know what I mean? The things they go through and the things they got to try to overcome. I mean, and our lives are so blessed with your godly marriage. Isn't that right? Am I with you with me? And one of the worst things, we don't like to ever be a strain in our relationship. We, we, we can't laugh. We don't want it to laugh more than five minutes. And if something's not right, we don't, we don't like that. It's like the whole equilibrium is off. Isn't that true? And that's how we want it to be with the Lord. We want to walk like that with the Lord. There's that sensitivity. And we so love having that peace. And that wonderful communion. We don't want anything to frustrate it. We don't want anything to interfere with it. Amen? And even the smallest thing, we want to take care of it. No, I'm not, we, no, no, I don't like that. You know, we, we, because we cherish. We cherish, right? And that's how it needs to be with the Lord. And that's really what Jesus is getting at in the second point here. We get washed. One time we get bathed. We're saved. We don't need to get saved again. But the rest of this walk with God, to keep it fresh and to keep it close and to keep it growing and maturing, we've got to have little, little washings, right? Little washings. We've got to stay sensitive and do our part. Isn't that right? Amen. 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 I'm going to close. God is so good. Don't forget next time, 10.30. Next week, 10.30. Or you'll be, oh, you'll be very early. You'll get a good seat, that's for sure. If you, if you come at nine, if you come at nine, you'll get a very good seat. I guarantee that. You, you'll get a good seat. You might get a couple of good seats. But the rest of us will be coming at 1030 for service. But let's, um, let's have a prayer. And let's remember the example that Jesus gave us. Because we live in a world where it says, sell yourself, you know, um, conquer the weak, push yourself to the top, right? Promote yourself, right? That's how, they, that's how they teach you. But Jesus in his kingdom taught something radically different, didn't he? And he gave us that example, not just that one foot washing, but his entire life when we recognize who he was and what he did. But when you and I truly know who we are as believers, listen, your father will take care of you. You can take the high road your Father will promote you and take care of you. Amen? You can do things God's way because in the end, He'll reward you for your faithfulness. If you really know who you are in Him, then relax. Follow the pattern Jesus gave you. His grace will be sufficient. 
And in the end, God will reward you for your faithfulness. We pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Jesus, we thank you for the example of your life. You gave us the pattern. And by your spirit, you now give us the power to live it out. Help us, Lord, to respond this day to what we know. Help us to live differently because of what we know concerning the great Savior and salvation that we possess. Lord, help us in the coming week to do your will. Help us in the coming week to love others. To never look down upon humble acts of service, but to see them as expressions of our worship to you. Because we do them all in your name. We do them all because you so changed us and you did it for us. So Lord, bless your people. Help us to live this life in a way that greatly honors you and greatly shines the light of your love to a lost and hurting world. Now, Father, I pray for those that are here. Someone might need a touch in their body. Father, in the name of Jesus, heal your people that are hurting. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, fill afresh those that are spiritually thirsty. Those that might be weary from the battle. Oh, God, fill them. Give them a new strength. Give them a new confidence. Give them a new boldness to trust you, to believe you, to walk confidently expecting your promise to come to pass, expecting your faithfulness to be manifest in their lives. I thank you for each one of these precious ones. Oh, God, give them the desires of their heart and use them in mighty, mighty ways. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Sure.